podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 5th of May, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or Now TV outside the UK. Also keeps your data safe online. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, we begin by congratulating Manchester City on qualifying for their first ever Champions League final. A 2-0 win over Paris Saint-Germain last night put them through 4-1 on aggregate. And it's impossible to argue that they didn't deserve it. City were fantastic. Over both legs. The first leg, they were poor in the first half, but the result was excellent. The second half performance, especially that last half hour, was excellent. And last night, I just thought they were fantastic from start to finish. Controlled the game, allowed PSG to have the ball, cut them apart on the counter-attack. Riyad Mahrez made it 1-0 after 11 minutes. He made it 2-0 after 63. Angel Di Maria was sent off after 69. Those are the basic facts of the game. But what those don't tell you is how well City played, how good they looked with Kevin De Bruyne as a false nine, his movement, his ability to float between the lines, link play, everything working around him was just brilliant. With Foden and Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez all moving, all dropping into different space, rotating position, that front four carved PSG apart. Ilke Gundogan played a more reserved role in this game than what we've seen him do in the Premier League. Sat in next to Fernandinho, gave them solidity, really helped them dictate where the game was being played and how it was being played. I think special mention goes to Zinchenko at left back, who has had you know his, his fair share of stick over the years. Unfairly, for the most part, he's not a left back, he's a midfielder. He was forced to play left back because he was one of the only left footers City had who were capable of playing that position a couple of years ago. But he has grown and developed into a competent left-back who's decent defensively, very good on the ball, good going forward. Thought he played very well, a couple of really good blocks, kept Di Maria quiet for the most part. Ruben Diaz again, another great performance. Of course, the hyperbole followed it. He is now the greatest centre-back to have ever played the game, in case you missed it. That is the uh, English media's takeaway from the game, is that Ruben Diaz, having marked an out-of-form Icardi, is the greatest uh, defender of all time. John Stones looked good. Kyle Walker was solid. All in all, City had 11 players that performed well. Ederson didn't have a whole bunch to do. They didn't. PSG didn't manage a single shot on target. But his distribution, his organising, his control of his box, all very, very good. City are going to be very, very hard to beat in the final. When you look at that team, Ederson, Walker, Stones, Diaz, Zinchenko, Mares, Fernandinho, Gundogan, Foden, De Bruyne, Silva. That's a scary group of players. Then consider that the bench contains Nathan Aki, who's a good player. Raheem Sterling, who should really be starting. Gabriel Jesus, a good player. Sergio Aguero was a great player, now still a good player. Zach Steffen, one of the better backup goalkeepers the Premier League has to offer. Americ Laporte, who really should be starting next to Diaz, comfortably better than John Stones as a centre-back, one of the better centre-backs in the league. Rodri, an upgrade on Fernandinho at this point in both their careers. He should be starting. Ferran Torres, a good young attacker. Benjamin Mendy, 
inconsistent, but when he's on form, he's an excellent left back. Joe Canseo, he's in a bit of a dip in form right now, but he had been fantastic for about four months leading up to this dip in form. Probably should be starting at left back. And then Scott Carson there just to make up the numbers. When you consider how strong that bench is, that's 400 million of a bench. 400 million pounds of a bench. That is fantastic depth and quality that City have. And that's a terrifying thing when you think of what the the starting 11 looks like. But if you bring Laporte in for Stones, move Diaz across to right centre-back, Laporte in at left centre-back, Shao Canseo comes in at left-back, say Sterling comes in for Mares, Rodri comes in for Fernandinho, they have four players on the bench last night who would improve the starting 11 that we saw last night. Four. There's not many clubs in the world that can say that and say that they comfortably beat a team like PSG. Now, I've talked before about PSG and how I find it so strange that they've spent that much money and ended up with that poor of a squad. No Kylian Mbappe for them last night. He was on the bench, but an eagle-eyed reporter suggested that he was sitting on the bench wearing trainers while the rest of the bench were wearing boots. So it was very unlikely he was ever going to come on. You've got Neymar, incredible talent. I mean, there may there may only have been a handful of players more naturally gifted than Neymar in the history of the game. That's not to say he's one of the best players in the history of the game, far from it. I don't think he's one of the 20 best Brazilian players to have played the game, but his talent is exceptional. They overpaid for him, but they bought him to sell shirts more than anything else. You've got a Cardi up front. At Inter, he was sensational. Last season, he was very good for them. This season, it hasn't worked. But this season, he's also fallen foul of Moise Kien been there. And there's been you know a lot of back and forth on who's, who's the, the backup nine or the starting nine, depending on where they use Mbappe. Angel Di Maria is a fantastic player, but he is pushing towards the end of his career. I think he's 33 now. In midfield, you've got Verratti, who I think is one of the best midfield players in the world. But unfortunately for him, he's spent most of his career playing for PSG rather than in one of the four more competitive leagues. Paredes is a very good... He's a good player who's got the talent to be very good but doesn't do it consistently enough. Then you've got Ander Herrera, who, with respect, he's a bang average grafter. He's a bang average grafter is what he is. Um, At the back, you had Florenzi playing at right back. Couldn't get a game at Roma. They loaned him out. He's had knee problems. Should have become a very good player. The knees kind of killed his career. Abdu Diallo at left back. He's a centre back. He's not a left back at all. He's a centre back. You've got Marquinhos, who's one of the best defenders in the world. And Kimbembe, who I think is also one of the best defenders in the world. And then Kaylor Navas, good goalkeeper, not great, but had great success. That team cost an exceptional amount of money. And yet, it's not a patch on the City team. It didn't cost as much as the City team. But it's nowhere close to the level of that City team. There's individually great players. But as a team, there's no balance to that team. You're playing a 4-3-3 with inverted wingers, but your fullbacks are not attack-minded players. Florenzi was a decent box was was a box to box midfielder who's a decent right back. He's not a good right back. He's certainly not a good attacking right back. Diallo is a centre back, like I said. You just you don't have any real width in that team. You don't have any natural drive from midfield either. Verratti and Paredes, they're ball players. They're not ball carriers. And then Herrera, I mean, if he's the one you're relying on for your attacking trust, I, I, I don't know what you're, what you're looking for. You look at the bench, Tilo Carrer, good young centre-back when he went there, hasn't developed at all, been used far too much as a full-back. Mbappe, clearly not fit to play. Rafinha, super talented but always injured. Danilo Pereira, good holding midfielder, decent centre-back. Don't know if he's the level of player you'd want if you're PSG and you're aiming to win Champions Leagues. Sergio Rico, I mean, he's he's fine for depth. Moise Keane, huge talent, 
didn't work at Everton, but he's done very well there. But again, they have him on, on loan from Everton. Um, Pablo Sarabia, talented, inconsistent. Levin Kurzawa, massively inconsistent left back. At times can look brilliant, massively inconsistent. Mitchell Backer, again, another inconsistent fullback. Colin Dagba, another inconsistent fullback. And then Julian Draxler, who is probably the most disappointing German player of the last decade, should have become a star. And instead, he's a bit part player for PSG, who I think is out of contract this summer. And unless PSG keep him, I don't know that he's going to find his way to another top club because he just has never become the player he he should have been. Now, he's had injury problems and he's made some poor career decisions. But all things considered, to spend as much money as they have and have this squad is very disappointing. It's very disappointing to have spent that level of money and have this squad. And this squad is not a Champions League winning squad. Even take City out of the equation, I think you'd have to back both Chelsea and Real Madrid to have beaten this PSG team. I know they beat Munich, but they beat Munich without Lewandowski and without Serge Gnabry. That's arguably their two best players. Take the two best players of any team, and they're going to be massively weakened. So... I think PSG are just very, very disappointing. I thought they lost their they lost their discipline last night. De Maria was sent off for a petulant kick out at Fernandinho. He probably was frustrated. Fernandinho had gotten away with a bunch of fouls. But Fernandinho's very good at that. He's very good at blurring the line between, you know, what's okay and, and what should be a, a yellow card. City last night had a lovely cynical edge to them. They did dabble in the dark arts just a little bit. A little bit of time-wasting here. Some little professional fouls there. Won won themselves some soft free kicks to just ease the pressure a little bit. Very, very impressive from City. Something that had been missing from them in the last few years in the Champions League. They'd been a little bit too innocent, a little bit naive, a little bit nice. This season, there's an edge to them. and. In all likelihood, they're going to win the Premier League. It would take a, it would take the biggest collapse that his Premier League has ever seen for them to not win the Premier League. They have already secured the League Cup. They obviously went out of the FA Cup at the semi-final stage. They will be disappointed about that. But now they're in the Champions League final. They'll await Chelsea and Real tonight. They're going to be favourites, I think, regardless of who they play against. And this team is set up to be around for quite a while. Diaz is 23, 24. Ederson's in his mid-20s. Canseo's 26, 27, 28 maybe. Uh, Rodri is mid-20s. Gundogan's pushing 30. That's fine. De Bruyne is the same. But Foden is, is 20, 21. Bernardo Silva's right there in his prime. Sterling's right there in his prime. Laporte is right in his prime. You know, they're, they're not... This is not a team that's going away anytime soon. This is a team set up to be there for the long term. John, uh, Kyle Walker and Fernandinho are the only two who started last night that you'd say won't be there long term. Fernandinho may well leave this summer, but they've already got Rodri in place. For, he's, the, he's the starter anyway. Fernandinho playing last night was a bit of a surprise from Pep. Walker, I think, is 31 now. But he has... He has improved defensively over the past couple of years. As his attacking pace has started to abandon him a little bit, he'll turn 31 in a couple of weeks. Um, He has improved defensively because he's staying at home a bit more. He's not bombing forward and leaving himself having to chase back 50, 60 yards. So that's helped him. Now, I saw some people say, oh, well, if they add a top goal scorer, that's it. Good luck to everybody else. I think that would ruin what they've built this season. I genuinely do. I think they'd be much better off going and getting a wide forward who'll score a lot of goals rather than bringing in some sort of number nine that will make them a little bit more predictable. What's great about them is how unpredictable they are. You're watching them and De Bruyne is playing as sort of a false nine. The next thing, 30 seconds later, he's wide on the right and Phil Foden is playing as the false nine. And next thing, it's Mares. Then it's Bernardo Silva. Then it's Gundogan making a run from midfield. 
And this constant rotation, this positionless football that they've developed this season has been a breath of fresh air. In a, a bad Premier League season, they have been the one consistently good thing. They have been the one enjoyable team. They're the team you know, right? Well, no matter what else happens this week, City are going to be fun to watch because the the caliber of football and the quality of players demands it be so. Leeds are obviously very fun to watch, and I, you know I'm not saying there's no other entertaining teams, but Leeds can have bad games. City rarely do. And even when they do, there's always going to be one or two that will have a great performance. I've said before, I think Oyarzabal from Real Sociedad is the perfect player to bring into this group. You will want to bring in a striker to replace Aguero as a body in the squad. I think someone like a Patson Daka, now he may well be going to RB Leipzig, but somebody like that, a young striker that can come in and, and basically replace what Gabi Jesus was a couple of years ago. He replaces Aguero as the more senior number nine. And then you bring in that youngster to develop behind him. If they could agree a deal to get Moise Kien from, from Everton, if PSG aren't going to buy him, and even if PSG do want to buy him, City can outbid them, he would be ideal. He would score for fun, even coming off the bench in a, in a, in a Pep Guardiola team, creating as many chances as this team are. So, they are into the final, and congrats to them. It's well-deserved. And they will play Chelsea or Real Madrid. Now, they played tonight. It's 1-1 from the first leg. Chelsea in a position of strength here at home, though, as we've seen in all competitions this season, home advantage isn't so much of a thing this season with no fans. But Chelsea will be confident going into the game. Now, it looks like Sergio Ramos is back. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you can decide. I think you'd have to favour Chelsea, especially especially given the way Tuchel sets his team up, the way he controls space. He does minimise the opportunities for the opposition. So for Real, they're not going to get a bunch of opportunities tonight. So they'll have to be clinical. When they get a chance, they're going to have to take it because they might not get a second one. It does look like Eden Hazard could be back in the team as well. Uh, that would be obviously a big boost for, for Real. He would have a point to prove coming back to play his former team. He hasn't been good for Real Madrid, and that's the God's honest truth of it. He hasn't been good at all. But if something's going to inspire him to put in his best performance since joining the club, Maybe it's the sight of his former team. Now, at the weekend, Real started with Courtois goal, Odriozola, Militao, Varane, Marcelo. Varane went off injured, and it's expected that he misses tonight. So if Ramos is fit, he comes in there. At left-back, we may see Nacho. We may see Marcelo again. It's possible. I don't think we'll see the back three again. Um, they played Casemiro and Blanco, uh, Antonio Blanco, in centre midfield. Very, very talented young player. Um, holding midfielder, seen by some as maybe a successor to Casemiro. But, you know, they'll have Modric to come in. They'll have Cruz to come in. So the midfield will be an area of strength. They played Asensio, Hazard, and... Vinicius as a three behind um, Karim Benzema. Now, I wouldn't expect him to go 4-2-3-1 against Chelsea because I think you, they'll have to get Modric and Cruz into the team with Casemiro. So I assume one of Vinicius or Asensio will miss out. Hazard to start one side of Benzema with the other one on the other side. That's what I'm expecting. Maybe Zidane goes a different way. It would be a bit surprising if he did. He's he's tended to rely on certain players in big games through his tenures as a, as Real manager, and that's you know that's what brought them great success. That's what won them three Champions Leagues in a row. That's what won them the league title last year was relying on those proven great players. Uh, at the weekend, Chelsea lined up with Mendy in goal. I think we'll see the same. Christensen, Silva, and Zuma 
played as a back three. I don't know if he'll go with the same back three. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he does. Uh, he went with Reese James, Billy Gilmore, Mason Mount, and Ben Chilwell as a midfield four. I don't think that will be the midfield. I think we'll see Angolo Kante. I think we'll see Jorginho. It wouldn't surprise me if we see Aspilicueta. So I think that's the area he's likely to change. I think Mason Mount will push into the front three. And I think he may go with Mount, Havertz, and maybe Pulisic. Mount is going to be an every-game starter. Havertz is in form. And Pulisic has been in form. And I do think there's a connection there with him and Tuchel. I think this is going to be an excellent game of football. It's really well poised. Should be a lot of fun. That's tonight, 8 p.m. You know where to find it. Uh, should be a cracker of a game. Right, uh, let's look through the latest news then, but first we'll take a quick break. Right, let's get to the news. So, mentioned yesterday, it broke while we were recording, uh, Jose Mourinho has agreed to become the new Roma manager. He signed a three-year contract to begin in the summer. Paolo Fonseca, his contract's not going to be renewed He's going to move on. It hasn't really worked for Fonseca at Roma. Arrived with big expectations. He'd done a great job at Shakhtar Donetsk for, in his three years there. He'd done well at Braga before that. There was a lot of expectation. It just hasn't worked for him. He still won over 50% of his games. It hasn't been a complete failure. But he hasn't achieved what he was brought there to achieve, which was to become regulars in the Champions League and potentially create a team that could push for the title. Now, it's not all his fault. He hasn't been back the way he should have been. There's been some strange transfers at Roma over the last few years. They've had dreadful luck with injuries. And they're also a club where a lot of players have gone and just not developed. A lot of players have landed at Roma in the last few years and just not developed into the players they should have been. So it can't all go on Fonseca, but he will now be available this summer and for a club like Celtic looking for a new manager, he could be ideal. So for Mourinho, he takes over now. And it's a win-win for Jose, really. I mean, worst case scenario, it doesn't go well. He gets fired and he makes another big bag of money. So you're not going to be too upset if you're him. His, his legacy is secure. Been through this before. He's already one of the greatest managers of all time. Just look at the CV. But if he wins things, if he brings success to Roma, he will be a god in that city. I mean, Capello left to go to Juventus, the club Roma hate more than anybody bar Lazio. And he's still held in high regard because he won them a title. If Mourinho wins them a title, they will adore him. And as I said yesterday, there are really talented players in this group. Lorenzo Pellegrini is brilliant. Nicolo Zaniolo is brilliant. He, we just have to hope he gets over the knee injuries. Kambula is a very good defender. Mancini's a good defender. Ibanez is a very good defender. There's quality there. Diawara can be a very, very good defensive midfielder. I think he will fit perfectly for Mourinho. There's still work to do. And they need to figure out what's happening with Zeko, with Ed and Jacko. Is he staying? Is he going? What's happening? If he's going, I wonder if maybe a loan move for Mauro Icardi could be worthwhile. I think we'll see Mourinho be pretty aggressive in terms of his recruitment. I think he'll want to bring in a certain caliber of player. Whether or not they're willing to back him, I don't know. But there's talent there. They've got some talented players out on loan. Cenk is under. You don't imagine Leicester will keep him. I wouldn't imagine Leipzig will keep Justin Clivert. There's two very talented wide attackers that can come in. They still own Steven Nzonzi. Uh, I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but he's a, a very good holding midfielder. He's got a year left on his deal. Mourinho may well bring him back into the, into the fold. Put him into the midfield group with the likes of Pellegrini, with Jordan Veritois, with um, Diawara. That's a, a good midfield group. So 
there's work to do and fullback situation massively needs addressing. They probably need to sort out their goalkeeping situation. I wouldn't be a huge fan of Paolo Lopez personally. Um, but there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot to work with. And they are a club. They also remember have uh, Al Shuari back as well. He's another talented player who Mourinho tried to sign when he was at Inter Milan. So maybe he'll fancy using him. Um, only new back to the club after being, you know, off in Shanghai for a couple of years. But he was great there the first time. If Mourinho can unlock him and get something out of him, maybe he's beneficial to the team. He's only 28. There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of promise to work with. It's a big task for Jose. But look, the expectations are not to win the league every season. The expectation is not as high as it would have been at previous clubs that he's been at, like Manchester United, like Chelsea, like Inter, like Real. The expectations there will be challenge for top four, get top four, try and win some cups. Things Mourinho's good at. Things he's very, very good at. So I, I like the move for him. I know Roma fans are a bit off on it, but I, I you know, let's see. Let's give it a chance and see. Um, if you're if you're Lorenzo Pellegrini and you're uh, Nicolas Zaniolo, maybe he's not the ideal manager for you because he'll probably demand that you run yourself into the ground, but he's made an awful lot of players better along the way. So we'll see. Uh, La Liga are investigating Lionel Messi having a barbecue uh, because it's a breach of COVID regulations. Barcelona players gathered at Messi's house uh, for this barbecue. So the club are denying it was a, a breach and they're suggesting the barbecue was within uh, regulations as the squad are all part of the same bubble. That seems like a fair argument to me, but we'll wait and see. UEFA have confirmed the 26-man squads for the Euros, so rejoice. Jack Grealish, Jaden Sancho and Trent Alexander-Arnold might sneak their way into the to the England squad. Um, Chelsea fans are to attend board meetings. Um, Chelsea have announced there will be a supporter presence at the club's board meetings starting July 1st. This is a token gesture that really means nothing. Nothing of real note will be discussed at these meetings. There will be meetings held without these fans. Simple as that. Uh, Liverpool fans met with the um, the representative of Fenway Sports Group yesterday, Billy Hogan, who's the CEO of the club, and put forward a list of demands. The top one being two fans on the board. I think that's a ridiculous request. I also don't think it's a fair request in that what they're asking for is it comes from their ranks. With respect, that uh, that supporters group represents maybe 1% of the fan base. So how is that a fair representation of the fan base as a whole if two members come from that group? Uh, I don't think the board should put a fan, or the, the club should put a fan on the board. Allow them to sit in on some meetings, fine, but don't put a fan member on the board. Uh, whatever they will do, even if they do that, they're not going to give them veto power. That's a nonsense request um, based in sheer fantasy that someone's dreamed up. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. The Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust has rejected the opportunity to meet with Daniel Levy. Um, they have called on Levy and the rest of the the. In, uh, the ENIC group to resign immediately. Uh, just nonsensical stuff. Absolutely nonsensical stuff. You've been given the opportunity to go and speak to the man. The man that, by the way, built you a new stadium, gave you the best team that most of you have ever seen, and you won't meet with him, but you want him to resign and everybody else to resign, and, and you probably want the club handed over to yourselves. It's just, it's a little bit baffling that that people don't see how how ridiculous some of these demands are. Um, Europa League will have fans in attendance. That's some good news. Um, 9,500 people will be allowed into the PGE Arena in Gdansk on May the 26th, with 6,000 of the 9,500 tickets going to the fans. So where are the other three and a half thousand going to? I thought football was for the fans. I thought that's what we saved football for. 
No, no, it wasn't at all. Um, the fallout continues from the protest of Manchester United fans, which caused Sunday's game against Liverpool to be postponed, with the club condemning those who caused damage after accessing the pitch at Old Trafford. I'd also condemn them for the damage that they caused to gain access to the pitch. Uh, United have outlined that any identifiable season ticket holder or member that was involved in criminal activity will be punished, as they rightly should be. Greater Manchester Police have announced it will hold an investigation after an officer appeared to punch a fan at the protest. Fair. If he's punched him unprovoked, absolutely fair. If he's punched him in retaliation and been assaulted himself, I think you let that one slide. Um... Dortmund have come out again and said that Erling Haaland won't leave. That's fine. We know that. And finally, Javi Grassi has finally been sacked by Valencia. Now, bear in mind, once again, Valencia are owned by Peter Lim, Gary Neville's best pal. But remember, Gary Neville wants to save football. Gary Neville thinks that terrible owners should be banished from football. But he's absolutely fine with Peter Lim ruining Valencia. Just keep that in mind. Javi Gracia, he's attempted to resign about six times this season. Including last summer, he attempted to resign. And he was told that in, in order to resign, he would have to pay three million pounds or three million euro to the club because he would be breaching contract. So he would have to pay the club to leave a job he didn't want to do anymore. So basically, they held him hostage for the last eight months. This is Peter Lim. This is the guy that Gary Neville, the saviour of football, is best pals with. This is the guy who's funding Salford. Fantastic stuff. Really is. Um, some bad news. Alan McLaughlin, who scored what I would argue is the greatest goal in the history of Irish football. Um, the goal that sent Ireland to the 1994 World Cup back in November of 93. A left-footed half volley against Northern Ireland at Windsor Park. Uh, he passed away after a battle with cancer. Uh, he had announced in March that he had cancer. He'd had it back in 2012, I want to say. He'd had a successful operation. He, he It came back. He announced it in March, uh, and he has passed away yesterday. Um, 42 caps for Ireland over a nine-year career. Only scored the two goals, but one of them is, like I say, it's it's the greatest goal most important goal in the history of Irish football, in my view. Um, a, a very good player, had a good career, started out with Manchester United, then spent a long time with Swindon, played for Southampton, then spent the bulk of his career with Portsmouth, that's where he was kind of best known, Wigan, Rochdale, and then Forest Green Rovers uh, to finish out. He had been managing in the Swindon Town Academy for the past five years. It's a tough loss. He's only 54, so a young man. Um, a, a shame, a, a real shame. A very, very good footballer for Ireland, and he will be missed. May he rest in peace. Um, on a slightly less down note, Andre Villas-Boas is going to enter uh, the World Rally Championship. Now, he has driven... Previously, he was entered the Dakar Rally three or four years ago. But now he's going to enter the World Rally Championship and make his debut in the Portuguese um, phase of the event. He's going to drive a Citroen C3. It's the third tier of the championship. So he's not going up against the top guys, but he's, you know, it's it's a fair old step. It's it's a bit mad. It really is a bit mad. I mean, the man is 43. So it's not like he's a young man. It's not like he's been doing this non-stop for 10, 15 years. He is very much an amateur, but he's he's jumping in. 
uh, obviously taking his time away from football and enjoying himself. But he's a bit he's a bit of a wild one as hell, AVB. Um, Gareth Crooks, my good friend Gareth Crooks, has once again proven that he has no idea what's happening in the Premier League. He does not watch Premier League games. And that when he picks his team of the week, he picks it purely based on highlights and players who score goals. So this week, what Mr. Crooks has done is he's picked Edward Mendy in goal. Now, I don't really have a problem with that. He made a couple of decent saves. He didn't have a whole bunch to do, but he's picked him anyway. He's gone with a back three of Craig Dawson, who wasn't particularly good against Burnley, but didn't make a goal line clearance. Lewis Dunk, who, to his credit, did have a good game against Leeds. And Johnny Evans, who scored a goal, had minimal defending to do, and did some of it quite badly. So two of the back three should not be in. In midfield, he's gone with a 3-4-3 formation. He's picked Danny Welbeck as his right wing back. Danny Welbeck played as a number nine at the weekend, not as a wing back. Uh, he's picked El Nenny, who was okay. He scored a scored a half decent goal. He was all he was all right. He certainly wasn't player of the week or team of the week standard, but he's picked him. He's picked Mason Mount, and I, I fully agree with that. Mason Mount did play well. This tells me that he watched the Chelsea game, by the way. Uh, he's picked Gareth Bale as a left wing back. Now again, Gareth Bale played up front. He played on the right hand side of a front three, um, and, and Gareth Bale should be in the team, <laughs> no no doubt, but. Shouldn't be in the team as a wing-back. Um, he picked Mikel Antonio. He scored two goals. He did not play well, though. Like, his all-round performance was not particularly good. He picked Aguero and he picked Havertz. I, I wouldn't pick Aguero. He scored a great goal. But I wouldn't put him in the team. Havertz, fine. Antonio, fine, because he got the two goals. But Bale should absolutely be in the front three. So you move Bale into the front three with uh, Havertz and Antonio. Ben Chilwell. Now, I know he was probably trying to avoid going too Chelsea heavy, but Ben Chilwell played really well against Fulham and probably deserves it, though. I think I could convince myself to go for Luca Dina, who was one of the Everton players who came away from that game the weekend with a lot of credit. I thought he played really well. So to avoid going too Chelsea heavy, I'd probably go Luca Dina, left back or left wing back, right wing back. I mean, Ricardo Pereira was good. Or not not Ricardo Pereira. Uh, Tim Castanier was good for um, for Leicester. But I think I'd go with Nelson Semedo for Wolves, who I thought put in one of his best performances of the season, um, carrying Connor Cody around the pitch and getting forward to do very well in, in attack. So I'd probably go with him as the right wing back um, like I said, no no issue with um, with Mason Mount been in at all. Um, thought he did did very very well. But in terms of holding midfielders, I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to find someone who played better at the weekend than Eves Basima, who was really really good and has been very very good for most of the season. So I think I'd go with him. And then the front three, like I said, Antonio, Havertz, and Bale. Uh, but the idea of playing Welbeck and Bale as midfielders, what you're basically saying is that the only midfielder who played well at the weekend was Mason Mount. Because you, your argument for El Nani is that he scored. That's the only argument you can really make. And what Mr. Crook says, his post-match interview said it all. The delight Elneny showed knowing he had scored his first Premier League goal for Arsenal is what boyhood dreams are made of. I'm getting rather irritated by know-it-all commentators who can continually tell me that players in front of goal should have, should have scored. I wouldn't mind if they knew how difficult scoring goals actually was or had scored a few themselves in the red-hot cauldron of the Premier League. Well, Elneny's relief and gratitude reminded me just how pivotal uh, sorry, how difficult it is to score a goal in top-flight football. The, the Egypt international also played a pivotal role in the victory. Yeah, because he scored a goal, not because of his performance. Um, but for Mr. Crooks, like, 
to come out and say that the commentators don't know what it's like to score a goal in the Premier League in the Red Hot Cauldron. Garth Crooks retired in 1990. He chap never kicked a ball in the Premier League. So what's he talking about? Shut up, Garth Crooks. You're wrong, as always. Um, We'll wrap up with the gossip and get you out of here nice and prompt today. Um, Manchester United have joined Premier League rivals Tottenham and West Ham in the race to sign Sam Johnston in preparation for the departure of David De Gea this summer. So I'd be curious as to where De Gea is is going. Um, There's three big clubs in Spain. None of them need a goalkeeper. They all have superior goalkeepers to De Gea at this point. Oblak, Ter Stegen, Courtois. You can make the argument that De Gea is a better keeper than Courtois when he's at his, be- at his best. He's not better than Oblak. He's not better than Ter Stegen. But right now, none of them need him. Um, unless Juventus have interest, but they seem to be in on Donnarumma on a free. Don't think Milan would have the money. Uh, maybe Inter. Maybe Inter would be able to afford him. I don't think they'd pay his wages. PSG, maybe. Would he want to go there? Nobody in Germany's paying his wages. Any club that could are Bayern, and they've already got Nauer and Nubel, so they won't have interest. Um, I don't know where David De Gea is allegedly going, uh, but you know they've joined the race for Sam Johnston, which is an interesting thing. Um, he's a very average goalkeeper who's made a lot of saves because he plays behind a dreadful defence. He's also conceded over 60 goals. Uh, he's a former United Academy graduate, of course, so they already know him pretty well. Um, but whether or not they're actually in from, I would have severe doubts. I would also doubt that Tottenham are in from. If West Ham plan to revert to mid-table, then he makes sense for them. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer may instead turn to Tom Heaton as Johnston would prefer a move to West Ham to ensure a regular first-team football. Um, Tom Heaton makes no sense at all for Manchester United. None at all. West Brom will demand £20 for Johnston if they're relegated. They can demand what they want. They'll be lucky to get... Well, the fact that he's English will help, but I mean, he's a a £12 million goalkeeper. Uh, Real Madrid are monitoring... They must have hired Ian Eyre if they're monitoring. Um, Manchester City and England forward Raheem Sterling, who could leave the Etihad for £75 million. Uh, I don't think he'll leave the Etihad for anything like £75 million. I think you would need to add a substantial amount to that. If they do have £75 million to spend and want to spend it, uh, Sadio Mane would probably be a better buy for them and a better move for everybody involved. Um, but I don't think Real have £75 million at all to spend. Carlo Ancelotti wants to bring Gareth Bale to Goodison Park next season. I very much doubt he does. Chelsea could rival Manchester United and Liverpool for the signature of Jadon Sancho after Borussia Dortmund lowered their asking price. They lowered it by about six million. Chelsea don't need a winger. And I don't think United are going to spend massive money because they don't spend massive money when they get Champions League football. I've been through that before. We'll go back over it maybe in the next couple of days. But when United get top four, they don't spend big big amounts of money. I don't think they're going to be in for Sancho. They were never really in from last summer either. They just postured a lot. Um, but, it, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the Bundesliga side will ask for around $85 million, And allegedly that's more than United are willing to pay a- like I said, if he drops to 50 million, United might have interest. They're not going to pay 85 million, not when they've got Champions League football. Uh, Dortmund have a gentleman's agreement with Sancho to allow him to leave. Leeds United are interested in Club Bruges, 20, Club Bruges' 21-year-old Dutch winger Noah Lang. He was brilliant when he broke through at Ajax, and then his career sort of petered a little bit, but he's gone to Bruges, and he's been excellent this season. It's a signing that makes sense. He would fit really well in that setup at Leeds. I'd really like to see Leeds make a move for Matthias Pereira, though, of West Brom. I think he'd be a great fit there. Um, they could sign both, of course. As 34-year-old David Louise enters the final two months 
of his Arsenal contract, his representatives have started looking for a new club and have offered his services to a club in the US. Away with him. Good luck. Enjoy yourself. Thank you for, well, comedy. Some good memories for Premier League fans, but a lot of comedy. Uh, Bayern Munich are interested in Inter Milan midfielder Ashraf Hakimi. Arsenal have also been keeping tabs on the Spaniard. I think he's staying put. I also don't think he's a good fit for either Bayern or Arsenal because if you play him as a fullback in a back four, you're not going to get anything like the best out of him. He is a wingback, born and reared as a wingback. Back three with wingbacks, that's what you want. Get him in on the right. He's perfect for Conte. Leave him where he is. Uh, Tottenham will search for another striker in the summer as they are not expected to take up the option to make Carlos Vinicius' loan move from Benfica a permanent one. Now, what I will say is he has shown enough this season to make me think he could do well in the Premier League. Tottenham's buy option was like £45 They were never going to pay that for him. But I think what we'll find is that this summer that the, the price on him might be substantially lower. A club could get him for 20 to £25 million. And if you're Brighton and you're looking for that type of number nine, he could be a good option. So keep an eye on him being linked with other Premier League clubs. Norwich City's 24-year-old midfielder Emi Buendia is in high demand with Leeds considering making a move for the Argentine who has been linked with Arsenal, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace and West Ham as well as Atletico Madrid, Sevilla and Villarreal. Leeds were linked with him last summer. He would make sense for Leeds. They could do with another playmaker. Uh, to fill the Pablo Hernandez role in the in the central two in midfield ahead of Cal- Calvin Phillips. So he'd make sense there. He would make sense for Villa, who could do another creative player to take some of the load off Grealish. Crystal Palace would be a strange move for him. West Ham already have a bunch of playmakers. It's not really what they need. Um, and Arsenal need all kinds of help, but I don't think they need him. I mean, they just you have Smith Rowe. Just build the team around Smith Rowe and Saka. Whatever else you do, just build it around those two. Uh, Anwar El Ghazi will remain at Aston Villa next season after Dean Smith decided against making him available for transfer. Statements like that are always strange. It's just that the nothing. That's just something that someone's come up with and gone. You know what? This will make me sound clever and in the know. Nonsense. Uh, former, Inter, former Inter Milan president Massimo Morata has encouraged the Nerazzurri to try and sign N'Golo Kante ahead of their attempt to defend their recently won Italian title next season. Yeah, congratulations to Inter. Lukaku has been phenomenal all season and that partnership with him and Arturo Martinez has been one of the best in Europe. Uh, Antonio Conte is one of the best managers in the world. I don't know what you want me to say. Um, Borussia Dortmund are interested in Liverpool's Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Uh, allegedly, they're also interested in Joel Matip, Divock Origi, Naby Keita, and the young Polish winger whose name escapes me. So, yeah, let's package some players up and Sancho to Liverpool can become a real thing. Um, Barcelona have made initial contact with Flamengo midfielder Gerson about the possibility of signing him. Now, he is very, very talented. Um, it's strange to me. He's, he's 23. It's strange to me that he's still in Brazil, that he hasn't really shown what he can do at a European club yet. Now, he was at Roma for a few years, and it didn't really work for him. They bought him for $15 million. They sold him for, I think, $9 million. Um but he's been back there a couple of years. He's done really well for Flamengo. I don't see him being Barcelona caliber, though. I really don't see him being Barcelona caliber. So I'm not going to put too much stock in that one. Memphis Depay is so keen on signing for Barcelona. He has already started house hunting. Again, this is just things people say. Memphis Depay himself is not house hunting for anything because he's playing for Lyon. And he's not allowed to leave France to go to Spain. So unless his agent or somebody close to him is in uh, Barcelona, he's not really house hunting. He might be looking at a few websites. means nothing. But he probably will end up there. I expect him and Ginny Wijnaldum to both end up there. Uh, Roma and Inter Milan are in competition to sign Cagliari's 25-year-old Uruguay midfielder, Nathan Nandez. I love Nathan Nandez. He is 
the epitome of a fighter in midfield. He will literally give everything to try and win a game of football, try and win a tackle. He is tremendous. Um, I think Inter are probably a step above his capabilities, but he'd be a good signing for Roma, where they are right now. Uh, Massimiliano Allegri has has stated that his intention is to return to football management, and he has been linked with a return to Juventus, while Real Madrid is also seen as another option for the 53-year-old. I don't understand how Tottenham have not made this man an offer. I really do not understand how Tottenham have have not already made him an offer. He is a top, top manager. He's one of the 10 best managers in the world. And what are Tottenham doing? Twiddling their thumbs. Bayern Munich are leading the race to sign Aston Villa's 17-year-old English midfielder, Carney Chukwameka. I've most likely butchered that. Uh, He is meant to be super talented. I have doubts that Bayern are leading the race because I don't think there is a race to sign him. I think he's very happy where he is. Um, But if he becomes available, there will be a scramble to get him. I don't think he'd go to Bayern, though. I think he'd be more likely to follow Jude Bellingham and Sancho and go to Dortmund because he'll get more opportunities there. That's just my guess on that anyway. Right, that is it. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Mr. Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Hunt for our title music. We'll be back tomorrow for Twitter Day. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the football tonight. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.